I have this website up here on the board, and wow, how did it get so stinking crooked? Anywho, what is that website? What is that website? It's where? It's where? Yes, yes. For those of you who don't know, we do record all of our messages. It is on Apple Podcasts. I don't need my keys right now, but thank you anyways. It is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We are recently on Amazon Music and Google Play, for those of you who prefer that. Actually, it's been like that for like the last four or five months. I guess I just forgot to mention anything. Anywho, Amazon, or, uh, yeah, Amazon Music, Google Play, we're on there. The WordPress is where you can also find our study sheets. So any past ones that we've gone over that you guys have missed, find that. But the other reason as to why I am saying that is for extensive studies like we are going to do tonight or like we did for the UFO series a couple weeks back, um, things that have a lot of visuals or video, I am also uploading the PowerPoint to WordPress. So we're going to cover... <laughs> A lot of slides tonight. In fact, to the tune of a world record in this class, 59 slides. No, some of them will be less than a minute long, so it should work out, wink, wink. Um, so for if there's anything in here that you're like, man, that went by too quick, man, I want to reread what was on that slide, or I want to get that visual again, these will be up, these slides will be up tomorrow. You guys could check it out on this website. Uh, there's a lot of visuals tonight that I really wanted you guys to see, and we're actually going to spend some time doing review tonight. And it's not typical review with what I covered last week, but I've actually taken what we covered last week concerning the Tower of Babel, and I put some images to it and kind of elaborated on things that I didn't get time to elaborate on last week. So, without further ado, question for tonight, can we finish talking about the Tower of Babel. So last week we looked at the historical application. We looked at the text. What does Genesis 11 actually have to say about the Tower of Babel? And then we looked at what happened from there. Because as we saw, you know, you have Nimrod, who is this, this builder of this kingdom. In fact, just for review's sake, Genesis chapter 10, 8 through 10, we get some findings, some finding out about Nimrod, that his name means rebel, and that he's the 13th from Adam in his lineage. Not only that, but it says in verse 8 that he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Why does that phrase mighty one stand out for those of you who were here? Because of the giants. The giants. They were described as mighty ones in Genesis chapter 6. Could it be that he was a giant? Well, we might see in a couple of the visuals that we have here tonight. It also said, to your point, Nate, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And we looked at how last week that means not that he was a mighty hunter on the Lord's behalf or going before him to hunt for, for lost souls. No, it means that he was a hunter in defiance of God, right in the very face of God. And that he established Babel as the first kingdom. You know why that's significant? And I meant to touch on this last week too, and I almost forgot tonight. You know why that's significant? The very first mention of the word kingdom in your Bible has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It has to do with his kingdom. You know what the theme of your Bible is, believe it or not? It's not the cross of Jesus Christ. The theme of the entire Bible is not the gospel. We like to think that because that was when our lives changed forever, when we came to that point of realization that Jesus died as our substitute on the cross and that we needed a sin bearer. 
and that all who call upon the name of the Lord by faith, your life is forever changed. And so, man, that might be the most important day on your calendar. But the theme of the Bible from beginning to end, according to Acts chapter 3, is the kingdom, God's kingdom. And as we established last week, a character quality of Satan is what? He is a great counterfeiter of God. If God has a kingdom, Satan's going to have a kingdom. And we got started to see the beginning of it. We looked at the historical, or, or that this, this kingdom, it kind of breaks down into three. Uh, governmental, which I've since renamed on your study sheet to political. You'll see why in a second. Political, religious, and spiritual. Nimrod built a city, political. He built a tower, religious. And we ended last week with looking at, could it be possibly that he was doing something else? <laughs> That maybe there was some mysticism and some spiritual sacrifices and other atrocious things going on there in order to summon help from above the stars, where we've looked at extensively in this class, is all wicked spiritual activity. Because what does Babel mean in Assyrian? Anybody remember? No, it was. It went with your. Uh, it went with your question, Sammy. That's what God called it in the Hebrew, but if you actually look, as they dispersed, as they dispersed from their religion and what they worshipped, they took all of their religions with them, and their language was confounded. That's where you get all the different languages. So yeah, in Hebrew, Babel means confusion. But when you look at Assyria, Sumeria, where believed that Nimrod actually went, Babel meant gate of God. Gate, as in an entryway, as in a star gate, as in a portal. So it was a spiritual connotation as well. And we saw, why did nothing happen there? Nimrod, because of this dispersion that took place, we looked last week at how the word or Nimrod and this worship of this virgin mother goddess and her virgin-born son, we looked at how this religion, this cult, this Babylonian cult dispersed throughout all of the areas, even to the point where you have a guy like Gilgamesh. Now, I had mentioned to you guys, is Nimrod possibly a giant? And I, I told you guys last week, this statue of, Nim or of Gilgamesh here, see what he's holding? That's not a kitty cat. It's a lion. Look at how big he is. This here is his best friend. I, uh, and Naki, I think his name was, or en Engi, something like that. What was that? Is it, are you talking about Ikkyu or Inkyu? Whatever. I think so. I think that's how you pronounce it. Gilgamesh's best friend. Look what he's wearing. Supposedly, the two of these guys killed a bull, and he has bull horns on, but you notice his legs here looking awfully like a conglomeration of a man and a beast. thought that was kind of interesting. Here's the actual depiction of this little uh, death that he is, uh, port or that the bull that he's killing here. But do you notice how he looks? Does that look like a man to you? Hmm. Interesting. The legend of Gilgamesh, when you trace it back, it goes all the way back to Babel, to Babylon. Oh, by the way, a little news article from April 29th, 2003, before you guys were born. Gilgamesh tomb believed found. Archaeologists in Iraq believe that they may have found the lost tomb of King Gilgamesh, the subject of the oldest book in history. The Epic of Gilgamesh, written by a Middle Eastern scholar 2,500 years before the birth of Christ. I highlighted that for a reason, and we talked about it last week. What was that? Has to do with the counterfeit claim. 
has to do with the fact that when you guys go off to your precious colleges and you have your professors who have a PhD after their name and a DR period before their name, so therefore they know more than you, so they like to claim, they will love to throw out things like this, like, see, Christianity is not a unique religion because this whole tale of the hero, of the savior who died and was resurrected, oh, these stories were told 2,500 years before Christ. You notice how the author just had to put that in there? Oh, by the way, I highlighted this little doohickey right there. Gilgamesh was believed to be two-thirds God, one-third human. Who here is good at math? What's two divided by three? Six-six point six. Hmm. Remember when I talked about how Nimrod, it said he began to be a mighty one on the earth and that maybe there was some genetic DNA manipulation to cause himself to become a giant later on? Maybe. Maybe that's not just a myth. Maybe that's not just a legend. Oh, by the way, where was this found? Iraq. Yeah. Where's Iraq located? By the Euphrates River, which is where Babylon was. 2003. Huh. Right around the time we about invaded. That's a story for another note. That's a note for another story. Nimrod also became Osiris. This is the Egyptian god. Uh, anybody note here, what does he have on his headdress there? A serpent. He's got a serpent. And you'll notice he's crossing his arms. No, that's not the uh, Wakanda Forever sign. But you notice what sign that's making? An X. You guys should do some research and some digging on the letter X throughout history. In many cases, the letter X was actually another form of the letter T. That's going to play a factor here in just a little bit. T, specifically an X with a circle through it. This is a huge symbol that you'll find all throughout ancient civilizations. Go home, do some Googling on it, and see what you find. He became Osiris. Oh, by the way, what's that symbol right there? And what's another form, or what's another word for an onk? Cross. It's a cross. It's a T in a circle. Osiris was both a god of fertility and the embodiment of the dead and a resurrected king. This dual role was in turn combined with the Egyptian concept of divine kingship. The king at death became Osiris, god of the underworld, and the dead king's son, the living king, was identified with Horus, a god of the sky. Osiris and Horus were thus father and son. Remember we talked last week, Nimrod was the father of this Babylonian cult. His wife slash mother, Semiramis, she gave birth to a son named Tammuz, and she claimed that it was Nimrod, the father, resurrected in the form of the son. Father and son. That sounds familiar. The son is the father. The father is the son in human flesh. Boy, I think I've heard that in John chapter 1 before. The goddess Isis was the mother of the king and was thus the mother of Horus and consort of Osiris. And we also talked about how Nimrod became Apollo. What does he have in his hand? Hmm. What does he have behind his head? A sun. Yeah, but it, boy, I'll tell you what, it kind of looks like a disc. It looks like a flying disc. Oh, you never heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Many of the old cuneiform and many of the old Babylonian scrolls 
that they found, a lot of the archaeological finds and discoveries, they don't call that a sun, they call it a flying disk. You'll see a couple other pictures of that later. Oh, by the way, do you notice this word here, Apollon? Another word for Apollo? Just as a side note, if you want to write down Revelation 9-11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. An angel. Whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name what? Apollyon. There's an angel over a bottomless pit. And his name just so happens to be the same as the god Apollo, who was an archer, who had the blessed sun halo around his head. Interesting. Some more tidbits on Apollo. He's the God who made men aware of their own guilt and purified them of it. Oh, praise the Lord. Who presided over religious law in the constitutions of cities. Political, religious, built a city, built a tower. And who communicated with mortals through prophets and oracles his knowledge of the future and the will of his father Zeus. And the Roman equivalent of that is Jupiter. Oh, and of course, we can't forget our boy Orion, Orion the Hunter. By the way, I know a couple of you in here do this, but if you've ever shot bow, raise your hand. Holy smokes, a lot of you in here. I think there's more girls than there are guys that have raised their hand. We need to start back up another guy's study. All right. I wanted to bring in my compound bow, but to be honest, I was a little nervous that somebody was going to dry fire it and that the springs might bust. But how can, can anybody tell me what does it look like whenever a bowman draws back an arrow? Now, I've seen some where you use these two fingers and you pull back, but you know how the traditional way has always been? Do you guys see his fingers here? Two fingers and a thumb, and you draw it back with the two fingers, and then you let go. That's how it traditionally has always been. You know what's interesting about that two-finger salute? Anybody know who this is? His name's Baphomet. You know what Baphomet is also known as? He's the goat god, or he's Pan the goat god. You know what he also goes by? He goes by Bacchus, who is the god of wine. Interesting that this is associated with the God of wine, and yet, man, Christians today and so many churches are talking about how it's okay to drink alcohol, as though the scriptures don't have anything to say about that. Here again, you have a depiction of how someone traditionally in war and battle has drawn back a bow, and here is an actual carving of Nimrod with the two fingers pulling back a bow. Remember what Nimrod was? He was a mighty hunter in the face of God. You see how his two fingers are going up with his thumb and his two fingers are going down? And by the way, I had to do this cartoon drawing because the actual depiction of him, I didn't feel comfortable putting it up here for you guys. You know why? Because he's a hermaphrodite. He identifies as a woman and as a man. And this is the international symbol for the Church of Satan, by the way. The two-finger salute. Fingers going up and the fingers going down. You know what this means in the occult world? As above, so below. In other words, what is happening above, let's just say perhaps maybe beyond the sea of glass, where all the ships and the Leviathan plays, what's going on up there, let it happen below. 
That's what it's known as. Now, where have I seen pictures like this before? Did I pray that everybody has a receptive heart tonight and ears to hear? Because tonight's going to get a little intense. Here's the actual depiction of Baphomet. Again, fingers up. Here's the statue that the Church of Satan just unveiled in front of Washington, D.C. a couple years ago, by the way. Hands up, hands down. Hands up, hands up, hands down. Notice how the fingers are also forming an X. Hmm. Just a thought. You know what Revelation chapter 6, verse 2 says? And I saw him behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a what? And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, we've covered this before, especially when we did our Revelation study last year. Who is this? Think carefully. The white horse might be tripping you up. <laughs> Ethan did. It's not Gandalf, though. The gray or the white. No. When you think white horse, in Revelation 19, who is coming down from heaven on a white horse with a sharp two-edged sword proceeding out of his mouth? Who's that, Jamie? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ at the second coming. And a lot of Bible scholars, believe it or not, in churches will teach you that this rider here in Revelation chapter 6 is the exact same because of the white horse. But here's what's interesting. This person does have a crown, but he's got a bow? Hmm. Never seen Jesus Christ depicted as a man with a bow. And notice how he has no arrows here. See, arrows mean war. This guy only has a bow, which means the opposite. Peace. And when do you see it says Jesus Christ conquering? You see, this is the first rider of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're known as. And right here, he's a white, on a white horse, because again, Satan is a great counterfeiter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's a crown on his head, a great counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again and again and again, we see Satan is depicted as a man with a bow but with no arrows, which means he's going to conquer in peace. That's why Daniel 8.25 says, and through his policy, speaking of the Antichrist, who is the rider of the pale horse, or not the pale horse, the white horse in Revelation 6, through his policy, he's political, he's governmental, also he shall cause craft, he's spiritual, witchcraft, to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by what? Shall destroy many. He also shall stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. He's going to stand up against the prince of princes. This is talking about the Antichrist. And when he comes here on this planet, after the church is raptured up out of here, oh, he's going to conquer this entire world, but it's going to be through peace, at least for three and a half years. By peace, by peace, shall he conquer. You know what else is interesting about this symbol? This symbol is also used in black magic. 
According to Maurice Bessie's Pictorial History of Magic and the Supernatural, this sign depicts the ancient gesture of benediction, the shadow of which represents Satan. By the way, you see this little pyramid here? Light, dark, as above, so below. That shadow, according to Satanists, is the symbol of malediction. In other words, if you want to wish somebody harm or put a hex on them, hex, hex, that ends in the letter X. To vex, vex their soul. Letter X. Man, that's weird. Is there a third one I can come up with? Hmm. Sex lends in letter X, and that makes three X's. Huh. Interesting. X, X, X. By the way, guys remember the pyramids that we keep coming back to? How they're shaped like Orion's belt? If you were to look down top above at the angles, that's what you would see. Three X's. Just an interesting side note. That wasn't in my notes. That's free for you. So it means malediction, at least to Satanists. A modernized use of the sign appeared in the daily world in 1969 when we sent troops to Vietnam. And in the 60s, you saw hippies everywhere saying, peace, peace. Now here's the thing. Don't get weirded out by that. You guys can still do the peace sign. You know why? Because I know you guys aren't casting hexes on people. <laughs> and you know who else knows that? At least I think. Do you know? <laughs> One in here I might not know. Really Bombastic side eye. Anywho. <laughs> Criminally offensive side Okay. No. <laughs> Sorry. Anywho. <laughs> you know who else knows that you guys don't mean anything by it? the Lord Jesus Christ who knows your hearts, who sees your hearts. Just showing you guys some history and where this stuff all came from. That's all. And what did Nimrod do? He built towers. Towers that look an awful lot like these cigarettes. The top, you have a Sumerian one. The bottom, here's actually one that's in Ur, which is where modern-day Iraq is. There's one in Mexico. There's one in Egypt. There's one again in Mexico. It's funny. It's almost like when they dispersed from Babylon, when God confounded their language, they took their Babylonian cultish religion with them to all the ends of the earth. Remember, Satan wants to establish a kingdom. Here's another tower. By the way, you guys notice how they all look like they're not finished? Because remember, God stopped it before the work could be done. Here's another interesting tower. Anybody have a dollar bill on them? Darren, I might need you to help me out. Do you remember what this one says? Anut coptus in Latin? You can fact check me on this. I, I'm, I'm going to, to uh, paraphrase it. But you know what that means on the back of your dollar bill? He hath caused us to prosper. He has caused us to prosper. Huh. Question, because I'm a huge history buff when it comes to the Revolutionary War, and that's my favorite era of history to study, and I studied history in college. But somebody help me out here. Maybe I missed this class. What on earth does Egypt have to do with the United States of America and its founding? Because that's the Great Pyramid of Giza that we talked about a couple weeks ago, where it's also missing the top part 
of itself. Hmm. Why would we put something Egyptian on the back of our dollar bill? It's just weird to me. I can't help but wonder, he has made us prosper, whatever that phrase is in Latin. I can't help but wonder if we're talking about a different he than what we might think. Especially when you consider what this phrase means in Latin. Anybody want to try to take a stab at it? If you know the answer, don't shout it out. If you want to take a stab at it, because Latin is very similar to Spanish. So what's some Spanish that you guys know that that looks like? Novus, novice. Uh, close. New. It's more so nuevo. New. new. Okay. Seclorum. What do you guys think about when you hear seclorum? So, no. <laughs> you know what seclorum means? It means secular. You know what another word for secular is? World. 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 Who wants to say what ordo is? New world order. Megan said it, and she didn't know. Why is that on our dollar bill? And it's a tower. Oh, by the way, we won't take the time to do this, but if you want to have fun little activity later. Uh, Count how many levels of bricks there are. 13? Oh, it's for the colonies. I love it. Okay. Is that Washington's eye? Sure. No, you know what's funny? Book of Zechariah talks about the Antichrist and that when he comes, one day his eye is going to be darkened, which means he's going to have one eye to rule and reign. Now Nimrod had a, a mother and he had a wife, and but I repeat myself. And her name was Semiramis. And Semiramis, this is an actual Babylonian drawing, or actual Babylonian uh, cave drawing that has been reproduced of a mother and a child. A mother and a child goddess-son relationship. She's also called Shakti in India. Notice what she's sitting on? A beast. It's a woman sitting on a beast. Might want to mark that down because we're probably coming back to that. And she's also called Isis. Uh, notice a little sun above the bullhorns. It almost looks like a disc with wings on the side of it. Seem to remember talking about that in here as well. And everywhere you look, you see a mother goddess with child. Mother with child all throughout civilization, all throughout culture. And all throughout society, you see this little halo, this little sun disk beyond her head. Interesting. And then her and Nimrod have a son named Tammuz. And you'll note here, this is an actual, again, uh, cave carving. A disk with wings on the side. Zechariah 5. What looks to be a sun and a moon... Nimrod was called the sun god. Semiramis was known as the moon goddess. Sun and the moon together. And that looks an awful lot like a tower. Tammuz, he's the god of fertility, embodying the powers for new life and nature in the spring. Because of this, he's also seen as the god of vegetation. He's the god of all things green. Hmm. His death signified the death of the vegetation from the intense heat of the summer. A celebration of his death would occur every March and April. Did you guys get that? The supposed virgin-born son of, of Semiramis, we celebrate his death, or rather they celebrate his death, 
but then again, I repeat myself, every March and April. He's the son of the sun god who is Nimrod and Baal. Did you guys know that Tammuz is actually found in your Bible? Ezekiel 8, 14 and 16. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, the gate, the gate. What does Babel mean in Assyrian Sumerian again? Gate. gate of God. Weeping for Tammuz because he's dead. Our only son, he's dead. And we're going to lament and weep for him. 40 days as you check the tradition in history. At the door of the temple between the porch and the altar... God is talking to Ezekiel here, and he says that there were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward where? So if you're in Israel and you're looking east, what country are you going to see? Iraq, Babylon. And they worshipped the what? What was Nimrod also known as? The sun god. You know what the word Baal means? Sun god toward the east. There's Tammuz. Huh. What's he have in his right hand? It's a scepter, but it's a T. T for Tammuz. And he's got, well, they're actually goats, but they look like little lammies on either side of him. <laughs> you know what Tammuz became? Saturn, Attis, Bacchus, Dionysius, Helios, Horus, Mithras, Nimrod, Perseus, Saul, Invictus. Oh, did I also forget to mention that his birthday and all of the birthday of these gods is December 25th? At least I know you guys learned one thing tonight because it's probably going to go into week three here and I didn't want that to happen. We're still not even done with the review, mind you. You guys realize that Jesus Christ... <laughs> oh, love it! You guys realize I'm getting so much side-eye right now. You guys realize, though? 10 o'clock, here we come. You guys realize I'm getting dangerously close to you right now. Jesus Christ was never born on December 25th. It was actually more September, October. The month is called Tishri. You look up a Jewish Hebrew calendar, it's not December 25th. What is Satan the greatest person or greatest type of? Counterfeiter. Yeah. You know who Tammuz also became? <gasps> he just said Tammuz became Jesus. No. <laughs> you know why? Hmm. Crown on his head, crown on his head. A scepter with a T on it, a scepter with a T on it. Hmm. Beard, beard. On that note, why would a God, our God, the Lord God, who made such a painstaking measure to put the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. And the second one specifically, thou shalt have no graven image. Why would he all of a sudden be okay with this? Do you think it's possible that Jesus Christ looks absolutely nothing like that? Yeah, he does. <laughs> you know what I would not be surprised of, though? 
if that does in fact look like somebody, somebody on the horizon. You see, I'm not saying that Tammuz is Jesus. No, I'm saying what 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4 says. But I fear, lest by, don't miss this passage, don't miss this passage. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled or tricked Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus... Why would Paul say there's no? He didn't say another God. He said another Jesus, meaning he's called Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. You understand that, right? If he was talking about another God, he would have said another God. If he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with them. Right here in this passage, we learn that there's another Jesus there's another spirit, and there's another gospel. Whew. Man. Now we're done with the review. That was all we covered last week, but with only a couple more additions to it. Andrew, quickly. I do want to tell you, in the Catholic Church, when I was raised, yep. and I'm not making this up, the priest would always do this to bless the congregation. Yeah. Like that. Because of the picture. Yep. Always. The two-fingered salute of a bowman. I get it. What I'm talking about, and, and you guys may not have hear, heard much about these things, but understand, not only, and again, take it or leave it, I really don't care, to be honest. I went to college. I studied history. I never finished. If that means that I am a, a cuckoo because of that or whatever, that's okay. You don't have to believe a word I'm saying. Just know that I've done my homework on this, and so have thousands of other men. This is historical fact. It can't be that all of these gods, all of these goddesses, all of these legends, all of these myths, it can't be that they all just run together, and it's by sheer coincidence. No, it's traced back to the origin of it, to Babel. That was the historical application of it. So tonight on your study sheet... We're going to talk about the doctrinal application. We're going to go things a little bit out of order. We're going to talk about future. How does this apply into the future? You guys are in Revelation 17? Great. Point one. It will be, just like it was historically, political in nature. Yes, Babylon is going to rise again. Some say it already has. We'll cover that hopefully by the end of tonight. But in the future, it's going to be political in nature. You guys can read all of Revelation 18 later. That talks about the political nature of the Tower of Babel. But look at the little subpoint. During the tribulation, and for those of you who don't know, the tribulation is the seven-year period after the church is raptured or caught up out of here. It's basically the end of the world. The Antichrist is on the scene, and at the end of that, you have the plagues, the vials, the, the, the seals, the judgments, all of it. And God comes back, Lord Jesus Christ, the true Jesus Christ, and sets his throne up in Mount Zion forever to reign and rule. That seven-year period of all that turmoil, it's called the tribulation period. During the tribulation, the political half of Babylon will rise again in the form of a one-world government or a new world order. A lot of talk about this. You guys remember in Genesis 11, we looked at last week, all the world was of one speech, of one language. Go to, let us all together, holding hands with the world, let us build ourselves a tower whose top may reach heaven. 
Look at Revelation 17, verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, more on that in a little bit, hang with us, they are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And in verse 18, The woman which thou sawest is that great city. So you have a city here that is personified by a woman and that all people in all tongues in all tribes in all nations, they come together as one united, just like we saw in Genesis 11 last week. It's a city, though, and it reigneth over the kings of the earth. Second point, why? Why will this happen? Why will all people come together, especially if, it's, if she's described as a whore? Why would people come together and unite themselves with her? Second point, because there's going to be worldwide war. That's the second rider in Revelation chapter 6. There's going to be worldwide pestilences. That's the third rider of Revelation chapter 6. Or sorry, worldwide famine. That was the second. Worldwide pestilences, to fill in your blank. That's the fourth rider of Revelation chapter 6. All of that's going to be going on. The whole world will have no choice but to unite behind the man with all the answers. Matthew 24, 4 to 8, Jesus saith unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, writer number one, and shall deceive many. He's going to trick them into uniting. And ye shall hear of wars, writer two, and there shall be famines, writer three, and pestilences, writer four. Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 to 24, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the fool, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences. Do you realize the ramifications of what's going to happen when probably to the tune of, I don't know, a billion, if that, probably more along the lines of half a billion? Then again, I might be stretching it, given how crazy this world is. Imagine an innumerable amount of people just disappearing and vanishing off the face of the planet. Like tomorrow. Oh, by the way, in case I don't see you guys on Sunday, enjoy the Jewish feast holiday that's going to happen on Saturday. In case you guys were here a couple weeks ago. If not, file that away later. Just a joke, just a joke. When that happens, people are going to be looking for answers. Answers to questions that don't make sense. It's going to require an intellectual genius who understands dark sentences, who understands dark matter, who understands things that are in the dark so that he can help bring a light to it. Anybody know what the word Lucifer actually means? Yeah. He shall stand up and his power shall be mighty, but not of his own power. And he's going to destroy wonderfully, peacefully at first and shall prosper and practice witchcraft, spiritual, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Point three, if anyone in the system wants to buy or sell, they must have his mark, his name, or his number in their right hands or foreheads. Turn over to chapter 13. FYI, everywhere I'm going to have you turn is found right in either Revelation 13, 16, 17, or 18. So just be quick with your flipping your pages because I'm going to go on and reading. Verse 16 
Talking about the false prophet, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name, or the number. Have any of you guys seen that before? That's actually something new that I didn't realize before. Because I always assumed the mark and the number were the same. We know what the number is. What's the number? Yeah. It says, or his name. I wonder what the mark is. If only... Just a thought. Just a thought. X does mark the spot. Hey, anybody seen one of my favorite movies? No. Somebody tell me. We're going to move on from that one, Carlin. It's all good. That was good, though. It added some much-needed brevity to a very heavy situation. Somebody tell me in a very, like, in one sentence, what's the summary of the movie X Men? Or mutants decide to do good. Mutants, though, changes in their genetic code, in their DNA. Somebody name one of the characters in it. Don't say Wolverine. Everyone says Wolverine. Not Professor X. No, Raven. Raven. Oh, and then there's the Phoenix, which also has a lot of weird connections to it. How about this one? How about this one? You didn't say it loud enough because you're talking like a little four-year-old. Oh, sorry. I meant that for Caleb, not you. I'm Okay. Do we need a powwow? Everyone out. Me and AJ need a powwow. No. Cyclops. Beast. Interesting. That also is free. Check that out later. Good luck watching that one ever again. I still am going to, but I'm going to be thinking about this stuff whenever I do. Where am I? What's going on? Shh. None of that tonight. I am on point. I am not digressing tonight. Revela- I guess a little bit. Revelation 18, 11 to 24. It says the merchants of the earth, they're going to weep. Again, this is talking about political Babylon. They're going to weep and mourn for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. This is when God finally initiates or issues judgment against Babylon. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off from the fear of her tormenting. And they're going to say, what city is like unto this great city? Hey, question for you guys. I know it's a little bit of a different context, but I think it still applies devotionally. Are any of you going to be sad to leave this place when you get raptured? Are you sure? You're going to think about the stuff you're leaving behind? Or you're going to think about what you didn't get a chance to accomplish or what you wish you could have accomplished or, man, what you would have liked to have done? I hope not. I hope we're not living for this world. I hope our eyes are focused on the world that's to come because if our eyes are fixed on Him in Colossians 3, we're not going to be bothered by the things of this world. And we'll be able to get so many things done for Him so that more and more of our friends and our family members don't have to see this day. When they're a part of this, these guys are weeping because they love the world and they love the world system and everything the world has to offer for them. Do you? I hope you're not a friend of this world. 
Verse 21, and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it in the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city, Babylon, political, be thrown down and shall be found no more. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries, there's the spiritual side, were all nations deceived. More on that in just a second. Point two. Not only is future Babylon going to be political nature, it will be religious. That's what chapter 17 is all about. Turn it back over there to chapter 17, Revelation. On your outline, during the tribulation, the other half of Babylon will rise again in the form not only of a one-world government, but of a one-world religion. Also a part of a new world order. Look with me in verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now we just saw in verse 15 and 18, the many waters that she sits on, it's a city. It's where all the peoples, all the nations, all the tongues, the multitudes, they come before her. With verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have, made have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Jump down to verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written. This should tie everything together for you guys. Mystery. What? Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. See, we had to take the time last week and tonight to cover all this historical ground because now you know with a name like that, your mind should instantaneously go back to Genesis 11. This is political in nature. This is religious in nature. It's not talking about one physical woman who literally slept around with a whole bunch of kings. This is something more than that. This is something a lot bigger than that. Kind of what was going on in Genesis 11. She's the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Jump down to verse 18 again. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city. Why would he differentiate Babylon and a great city? Maybe because Babylon goes by a different name and it's represented and personified by another city. Hmm. You see again in Genesis eleven six. 6, you guys remember what God said? Behold, the people is one. A lot of talk about being one. Oneness. Let's all be one. And the world will live as one. Nailed it. No. The people shall be one and nothing will be strained from them which they have imagined to do. That's why I thought of that song. It's called Imagine. Never mind. You guys are too young. I'm too old. I thought Andy at least would get it. Point two. Thank you. The world will once again, just as it was in Genesis 11, the world will once again be united under the worship of a giant beast, a mother goddess, and her virgin-born son who resembles his father. Look with me. When we just read verse uh, 3, did we read verse 3? No, we didn't. Oh, let's read verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored what? 
fool. Hey, I remember seeing a statue a couple slides back of a woman sitting on a lion. Hmm. Coinky dink, I'm sure. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in what color? And what color? Decked with what? And precious what? Having a golden what? Oh, I forgot about the golden cup. It's okay. It's a quick Google search. You guys can do it later. I'll fill you in in a second. In her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Jump down to verse 9. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads of the beast are seven what? On which the woman sitteth. Seven mountains. And we already saw in verse 18 that these seven mountains are also a city. It's a city with seven mountains. Boy, this might tick some people off, but I got to preach what the Bible says and I got to apply it with what history has shown. And for those of you guys who were with us last year when we covered our study of Revelation, hopefully this will be review for you because we went through church history from the Acts of the Apostles all the way up to present day as found in Revelation 2 and 3. This should be review for you. And if anybody doesn't quite get this, doesn't quite see this, you are more than welcome to talk with me afterwards about it. But it says that she was in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold. All I did was type in purple, scarlet, and religion, and you get a whole bunch of these images popping up. That T there looks pretty familiar. You'll also find that in ancient civilizations. No, it didn't start in 325 AD with Constantine. Nope. Goes back further than that. I see gold. I see purple. I see scarlet. And about this city that sits on seven hills, all I did was just type in Google. What city sits on seven hills, seven mountains? The ancient city of Rome. Seven hills of Rome, group of hills on or about which the ancient city of Rome was built. The original city of Romulus was built. I don't even know why I'm reading that. There are other cities that have seven mountains, seven hills. None of them, none of them come anywhere close to meeting not only the descriptions of the other verses that we just saw here, but none of them come close to seeing or, or to actually being of the, the height and the prestige of Rome, of the Vatican. This woman is a personification of the church, but it's another church, that preaches Jesus, but it's another Jesus, that preaches a gospel, but it's another gospel. This woman is a representation of the Roman Catholic Church, which is hard for us to see nowadays because we've been, what, 600 years where they've not been in global power. But you go back before 1400, and we did that in this class, you guys realize that the Holy Roman Empire of both the state and the church ruled and dominated the entire world for close to a thousand years. That's history. 
Do you have family members and friends that are caught up in this system? Do you care about their soul and what the Bible says? Do you know the gospel enough to articulate it to them and to know the difference between works-based salvation, doing good works to earn favor with God, and understanding that there is nothing good enough that you could possibly do to earn favor with God. It could have only came through the blood of His Son dying in your stead on the cross to save you. And by calling upon Him, not by drinking from a golden cup, just Google that, Roman Catholic Church and Golden Cup. You'll find plenty of images. Not by taking communion. Not by getting baptized. Not by doing good works. That's not the way of salvation. I put these passages, Judges and First Kings on there. You can check it out later. This is the future. Government and religion. And yet... The Roman Catholic Church is pretty weak right now. But that's only because the last 600 years she's gone more underground. And I've studied it out exhaustively. I'm telling you guys. How do I want to word this? They're at work. You just don't see them. Study the history of the Jesuits. Study the mind control tactics they did with the Jesuits back in the 1500s. part of the Counter-Reformation. A lot of stuff being talked about what they did then going on today. Not only that, but in future, it's going to be spiritual in nature. I mean, we don't have time to look at it, but in Revelation chapter 9, you know what you see happening? You see a star. Hmm, a star. We go through the book of Job and we show that stars are also used, uh, a word synonymous that's used with angels, a star falling from heaven as above to below. And it opens the key to the bottomless pit. And out of this bottomless pit come these weird, demonic, mutated beasts. It's almost like there was a portal from the heavens down below in order to unlock whatever is below for them to come up in the tribulation period and they torment men for five months see in the first bullet point when the gates of hell open beneath and all manner of beasts descend around the Euphrates by the way where is the Euphrates at let me rephrase that where was Gilgamesh found in Iraq Babylon by the Euphrates river which I believe that same river is drying up currently. We've also talked about that in the Q&A series. Second point, when the portal of heaven opens and the queen of heaven, that's a phrase that's actually found in your Bible. You could check out Jeremiah 44 later. When she descends upon her own base in the land of Shinar to be worshipped in connection with the beast and the man of sin. As reviews, Zechariah 5, remember that strange flying object that we ain't quite identified yet? <laughs> he got a lip fungus, ain't quite identified yet. He said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance throughout all the earth. Remember, when I drew it for you guys, an ephah is like a bushel basket, and God said he put like a, a lead lid over top of it. And there were wings of storks carrying it. Wing disc. 
I'm telling you guys, we just read in Zechariah. Yeah, it's a crude drawing. But why is it that in all of these cave drawings and all of these sculptures, why is it that there's a sun with wings around it? Why is that? Google it, look it up, and you tell me. All I have to know is to go based upon what the Bible says and what history keeps showing about these strange mother goddess worship and her virgin-born son and this image coming down. We talked about it before. There's a woman that sits in the midst of it and, the, and God himself says, this is wickedness. And he cast it in the midst of the ephah and he put the weight thereon. Then lifted up mine eyes and looked, behold, there came out two women, the wind and their wings, the stork wings, and the ephah between the earth and the heaven. And he said unto me, to, why is it going there is what uh, Zechariah asks. And God says, to build it and house, where? We talked about Shinar last week. What is that? It's Babylon. Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11. And it shall be established and set there upon her own base. You have devils and all kinds of mutated beasts coming out of the ground. And you have a mother goddess coming from above. You know, in Revelation 13, we talked about the false prophet and how he erects the statue of the beast, of the Antichrist. And he causes everybody to worship the image of it, just like Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel chapter 2. Did it ever occur? Because it didn't for me until I started studying this. That maybe it's not just the image of the Antichrist that they're worshiping, but maybe the husband and the wife are finally unified as the beast is coming from underground, Revelation 13, 1, the beast comes out of the sea. And the mother goddess comes up from above and they meet in the middle. And there's an image constructed together where both the image of the beast and her are worshipped. Oh, it says the image of him in Revelation 13, but it also just says the image. And I look at this and there's a lot of people who seem to think that there's also going to be an image of this mother goddess along with the beast that is worshipped together in unison. Just some food for thought. So devotional application. Anybody here good if we go for a little bit over, even though we started a lot early? I'm trying to think. I think we can do this. I think we can do this. All right. Devotional application. The present. If this is going to happen in the future, do we think that it's just going to pop up as soon as we're all out of here? Or do you think there might be some things that are happening presently to set this up? Yes. Hmm. Point one, guess what? It's going to be political in nature. Do I really need to go into COVID protocols? I don't know, Mom, because I didn't pay attention. Do you guys remember that? Many of you guys lost most of your high school career. Some businesses, did anybody's family suffer because their business was declared non-essential to work? Who declared that? The government. Who said you could go here, but you can't go there? And you guys remember what shut this whole crap and this whole nonsense down? When they tried to make it mandatory that you must be vaccinated if you want to go back to work. And thankfully, what semblance of intelligence is left in our government right now declared it unconstitutional because you can't force things like that. Sorry. That's what shut it down. 
but there was a lot of control by people trying to tell everybody what you must and must not do. Secondly, currently global leaders of many nations are seeking to establish what's known as the Great Reset by the year 2030. Have you guys heard of this? Anybody know who the World Economic Forum is? The World Economic Forum is the international organization, international, many nations. The forum engages the foremost political, business, cultural, and other leaders of society to shape global, globe, world, one world, regional industry agendas. It's in Switzerland, and here's what they do. It's the institution they carefully blend and balance the best of many kinds of organizations. One language, one speech. Come to, let us build us a city. Let us build us a tower. They say, we believe that progress happens by bringing together people from all walks of life. Look at the third point on your outline. Here's what the Great Reset is all about. You will own nothing and be happy. You will eat less meat. That's funny. 1 Timothy 4.3 says that people try to do that. They command you to abstain from meat. Interesting. Side note. They say that artificial intelligence will help us live longer and a handful of countries will dominate for us to unite. But don't take my words for it. Just watch this one minute video. I'm going to talk to narrate this for the people who can't see it. Right there, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. By the way, this is a video from the World Economic Forum. The U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. Why say that word dominate? You're not going to die waiting for an organ. No, we'll just use artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence to create one for you. Do these sound like suggestions or do these sound like they're telling you something? A billion people will be displaced by climate change. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon. Remember Tamus, he was the god of vegetation. Green. You could be preparing to go to Mars when you're raptured and they need an explanation. Scientists will have worked out how to keep you healthy in space to the start of a journey to find alien life. They say this is all going to happen by 2030. People are meeting in Switzerland right now discussing how they can implement these things for the entire world. Klaus, yeah. Huh. One more for you. just to help illustrate their point a little bit more. Again, you can find this on the World Economic Forum's website. Our world has changed. Our world, our one world. Everybody in Genesis 11 working together to make brick, to make mortar. Working together as one. 
but it's in defiance against God. Our system need a reset. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone. Go to. Let us make a tower whose top may reach heaven. Does that not just sound ominous? The Great Reset. That does not sound warm. I don't get a warm fuzzy with that. Anybody else get a warm fuzzy? No. <laughs> I want a warm fuzzy. That does not help. Hmm. So don't take my words for it. Second thing, it's going to be religious in nature. For the last 120 plus years, don't miss this. And again, just go back through our podcast and listen to our entire study on Revelation. It's all there. We don't have the time to cover it all. But for the last 120 years, Protestant church denominations and other religions, they've all been coming back to mother. It is the reverse of Genesis 11. If God scattered and dispersed everyone in Genesis 11 because he told them, go, multiply, replenish the earth. Don't stay here. Get going. Get gone. And now they're all coming back to be unified together. Case in point... This is from 1972. Pope Paul VI to Sri Chinmoy. This guy's a Hindu. This meaning of ours has been most essential. Your message and mine are the same. We're one. Let's unite together as one. When we both leave this world, you and I, we will meet together. 1985. Address of His Holiness, John Paul II to Young Muslims. Uh, where do I want to jump ahead here? Christians and Muslims, we have many things in common as believers and as human beings. We live in the same world, marked by many signs of hope, many signs of anguish. Fast forward. We believe in the same God, the one God, the living God, the God who created the world and brings his creatures to their perfection. And to bring something a little bit more recent, this is an article from 2017. 500 years after Reformation, many Protestants closer to Catholics than Martin Luther. Today, half of American Protestants say they, that both good deeds and faith in God are needed to get into heaven. I think that number is significantly less. The same number believe that in addition to the Bible, Christians need guidance from church teachings and traditions. Traditions of men church teachings elevated above the Bible. Christ talks about that in the book of Matthew and Mark. Mark 12, I think it is specifically. You can check those passages out later. You know what's happening? It's the exact same modus operandi that the serpent had in the garden. The serpent was more subtle. Any beast of the field, and look at the first words that are ever recorded out of Satan's mouth. Yea, hath God said. He is attacking the authority of God's word. Second point, there are, they are being led and united by one language and one speech in the form of false Bibles, paving the way for their return of Father. This is where it started. 
Satan was always attacking God's word. Case in point, and I got to show you this because it's going to lead right into our third point here. Luke 1.49, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. It's talking about Jesus Christ when you look at the context. You know what other versions say? Not he that is mighty, the mighty one, capital M, capital O. For the mighty one has done great things because the mighty one. Psalm 50 verse 1. I'll read it if you can't see it. The mighty God in the King James, it says, hath spoken. You know what other versions say? Capital M, the mighty one. Why did they take God out? Why is he the mighty one? That's kind of generic and broad and not very specific. The Lord, the mighty one, the mighty one, the mighty one. Again and again and again. One more. Joshua 22, 22. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods in the King James. Several others say, not the New King James, but New Living Translation. The Lord, the mighty one, the mighty one, the mighty one, the mighty one. Why am I showing you this? Is it just to pick a fight? No. Think back to what we saw last week. Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. People who don't have teachings or, or don't have a, word, a Bible that they can believe every word of, they might come across verses like that in the same verse that's calling Nimrod, the mighty hunter in the face of God. It's the same phraseology they're using for our Lord, our God. By the way, something called the Lucifer Publication Company, which they've since changed it to Lucis. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a triangle. They have something called the Great Invocation. Here's how it goes. This is a Luciferian satanic prayer. Let the lords of liberation issue forth. Let them bring succor or help to the sons of men. Let the rider from the secret place come forth and coming save. Come forth, O mighty one. Let light and love and power and death fulfill the purpose of the coming one not the one who's coming again no the coming one as in there's someone coming for the first time to this planet from a company called the luciferian the lucifer publishing company oh mighty one nimrod and lastly it's spiritual in nature anybody here ever heard of cern any science geeks in here I say that as a term of endearment because I'm... A, okay. Oh, yeah. I know AJ and Ben have because we're on the same kick here. They know where I'm going with this. For those of you who don't know, this is CERN. <laughs> this is their logo. Notice anything with it? Circles. Is it circles? Three of them. This is a major scientific laboratory in <laughs> the same exact place where the World Economic Forum is, Switzerland. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> CERN, well, here's a little bit about their mission. Uh, CERN, our work helps to uncover what the universe is made of and how it works. They want to unite people 
from all over the world to push the frontiers of science and technologies for the benefit of all. They want to engage all citizens. CERN has the largest particle accelerator on the face of the planet. Watch Iron Man if you don't know what a particle accelerator is. What they're wanting to do with the Large Hadron Collider, anybody heard of the Large Hadron Collider? They're trying to recreate the Big Bang by having these protons circle around in a 16-mile-long particle accelerator. They're firing up all of these particles together to try to collide them together. That sounds like fun and safe. In order to try to recreate the Big Bang and find out how did this all happen? How did the universe make sense? Here's a quote from one of the scientists at CERN in research concerning this. Something may come through dimensional doors at the Large Hadron Collider. Atop Boffin, I don't even know what the heck that is, LHC says that the Titanic machine may possibly create or discover previously unimagined scientific phenomena or unknown unknowns. For instance, an extra dimension. Out of this door, gate, portal, might come something. Or we might send something through it. Sergio Bertolucci, Director of Research and Scientific Computing at CERN. The spiritual aspect of the Tower of Babel is going on right now, where they're trying to have a portal or a gate to God, Babel. They're trying to open up in order to put something through or have something come through. Do you have family members and friends on this earth that you don't want to have them see the garbage that is going to happen in the future? Anybody have one or two more days left of school? If we were to get raptured this weekend, tonight, springtime, fig leaves, summer is nigh, would you have regrets? Are there people that are unreached in your sphere of influence with the gospel? This is the kind of guard. The world is primed. The world is set up for this stuff to happen. For everything in the book of Revelation to happen right now. It's set up. So what do we do with all these answers from the last 15 weeks? I'm not going to go through any passages. Just follow along. What's the point of all this? Was it just to have fun? You see, it's been easy and simply to simply listen to these questions and answers. However, if proper time and meditation hasn't been set aside to apply what you've heard, then this will have only been information for you guys. The Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Has this information caused you to love the lost people in your sphere of influence more? If not, then we just spent the last 15 weeks looking at information. Bible says that there are certain questions that people ask that should just be ignored. That's what 1 Timothy 1 4 says. It says, avoid endless questions and genealogies. They're just trying to trip you up. But there's other people. Some of the questions we've looked at in the course of the last 15 weeks, they just keep asking and asking and asking. And maybe it's causing division. Maybe they're trying to spew things that is false about what the Bible says. The Bible says in Titus that you need to stop the mouths of the scoffers. So if anything, I hope the last 15 weeks has given you the tools in your toolkit to be able to answer them so you can put a stop to the, the nonsense and the lies that they spew. 
That's what you can do with these questions and answers. And finally, what, who in your sphere of influence can benefit from any of these questions we've covered over the last 15 weeks? How can you creatively bring these topics up in conversation or loss? You know that Jesus asked questions? All throughout the Gospels, you'll see it. He asked questions to people, and he provided the answers. Who do men say that I am? Great question to ask your friends. He also asked men to provide an answer to the thought-provoking questions that he asked. Maybe you guys should some, have some of these questions. Hey, have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought about this? Too often our witnessing is reactive. It is time we get proactive with it. Amen? Let's pray.